This now has come to a head. Elijah is the spokesman of God. Some of you may say, well, okay, so the kingdom was split. Ten went north. Two remained in Jerusalem. What about those guys? Well, I do know something about those guys. And that city so far has been governed by Asa. And his qualifications right now seem to say that he was a good king. He did right in the sight of the Lord. And very close to following in that, if not presently, is Jehoshaphat, which would be his son, and he will be listed as a good king, meaning that while there is deviation from true spirituality on the one side, or the greater portion, there is a remnant that is holding the course. It's important to note that in our times, there will always be a remnant that's holding the course. Guess who we are? We're the remnant. We're holding the course. When junk's going on, when culture is influencing and corrupting true spirituality, which can only be found in the house of the Lord, then God allows certain consequences to have an effect. And that effect is one in which we can say, oh, that's why there's a drought. That can have a picture for us of simply being spiritually dried up. When the tongue cleaves to the palate, you're seeing me at times nurse my throat with water and how much I appreciate water, especially during this teaching. In this case, this drought has now provoked the people to cry out, shout out. They're either going to shout out in victory for the living God, or they're going to shout out in misery and blasphemy against God. And that is what we found out even yesterday in Revelation, that in the outpouring of the judgments that were being poured out from bowls, after every terrible outcome of what the bowls of wrath were causing, blasphemy came out of the mouths of those who were being affected. Blasphemy after blasphemy, as opposed to repentance. So on this meeting, this mount, and when you're on it, you can see the entire valley before you. Megiddo, what is also known as Armageddon. And it's an amazing plain that seemingly stretches forever. And then approximately seven miles which would be to the west of Mount Carmel, maybe nine, is the Mediterranean Sea. That gives you kind of a picture in your mind. Because somehow water is going to need to be made provisionarily for what now is going to take place. Ahab has summoned the children of Israel. They're now going to be on a 12-hour walk. They're moving towards Mount Carmel. Elijah's now going to meet with them and his challenges. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? It's interesting because we've become right now 
very influenced by people's opinions. They're called in short form op-eds. If you didn't know that, it means an opinion editorial. That means that a person's opinion who pens it is to be considered. What we've come to do lately is we've treated it as, wow, that must be of God. That opinion surely must carry weight. And we've lacked discernment and certainly politics to discern, well, what does God think about it? Because God doesn't weigh his commands as opinions. They are just truth. His statutes are truth. His testimonies are truth. His precepts are truth. And so when confronted by culture against the things of God, our opinion doesn't matter, nor does the opinion of culture matter. It is what God has said. And essentially, this is what Elijah is saying. How long are you going to be reading the op-eds, the Ahab newspaper? How long are you going to listen to Jezebel's pennings and pinings? How long? And so a challenge is being set up here, and a proof is going to be required. Here is how it unfolds. Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So to him, one representative of God, he faces off with 450 representatives of Baal, kind of a stacked jury there. Therefore, verse 23, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Two altars are going to be built, one by the pagan worshipers of Baal, the 450 prophets. They're going to make provision for this. It's going to cost them. That's generally what God wants people to know. If you're going to come against me, it's going to cost you. 24, then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. Plural he used, remember, we're talking about Baal, but remember the other name was Jezebel's God, the Ashtoreth, that was the deity, female deity of perversity, sexuality. These are the cultural gods of those days. We have cultural gods of these days. And therefore he said, prepare, set no fire, because the proof is going to be who manifests the fire, your God or the true and living God. You call upon the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now they answer. Before they kept quiet, now they answered. 
Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourself, prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. So far, quite a few hours will pass, saying, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And then it says they leaped about the altar which they had made. So they're dancing around the altar in leaping movements. They are shouting to Baal while they are leaping. But it moves to even greater drama as this verse continues. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So Elijah is doing a cultural taunting right now. And there has been intrigue as to what it may mean in some of these words. Busy may imply in the Hebrew that their God was taking a private moment away. And he's intentionally mocking the fact that their God may need to be relieving himself. This would be something to them that would have been a provocation of even greater severity to themselves to invoke the power of their God to do something. Why? Because he's mocking them. When you have seen how even to say anything against Muhammad, the prophet in the pagan faith of Islam, it will incite that particular zealot group into fury, rage, to have anything that is said against simply what they have qualified as their prophet, the prophet of Islam. And so this sends this particular group into a rage. And here's what happens in verse 28, as they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice no one answered, no one paid attention. So basically they're speaking to the people. Prophesy means that in some manner they are conveying, this is going to happen. This is what we know is certain. It's about to be evident to you guys. Just hold on. We've got a couple more things to cry out, shout out. We have a couple more Wounds to make on ourselves, and you'll see that he's God. Well, those are what we would consider outcomes that 
are false in their anticipations. This is not going to happen. And it doesn't happen in a culture either that cries out to anyone. You see, even in our situation, politics, the political forum, can be to a culture a god. A god that we come to for everything. And as a country that actually established a government as one formed by God and to be governed by the Lord, when it usurps the God who gave us the institution of governance and the people continually cry out to the governance, help us, help us, help us, help us. You can do this for us. And there is an obliging, which indeed does have the appearance of, of course we can, of course we will. It takes people away from where they need to be, and that's in the house of the Lord, upon their knees, looking up to God for their hope. The institution of government is God's. The institution of marriage is God's. The institution of the church is God's. So far, those being all attacked the one we know that shall surely stand is the institution of the church. And that means that the church has an obligation to be as Elijah was obligated, to represent the Lord in the face of those who are critics and those who mock God. And you're seeing that with greater frequency the mockery of God, the challenge of culture to say, you are troublers of the world. You're causing all of the problems with your narrow-minded views, with your puritanical philosophy, meaning living righteous, living holy, choosing good, challenging evil. So we're in those days. There has been speculation that the church is melting. I don't know if that's the proper word or not. It certainly is not filling as it once did. But the Lord can bring it back. The question is, will people not continue to turn their back, but to turn their face towards God so that the work that God wants to do in a country that he desires to bless can remain effectual, profitable. And so the midday has passed, no voice, no reply, no one paid attention. They're getting bored now. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Isn't that interesting? Apparently there was an altar on this site that was broken down. The one that seemed to have been established 
without need of any remedy is the one that is completely irrelevant to what this act of calling upon their God was intended to do. But it is important to notice the picture here is that when there's a breaking down, and in this case, the altar of God, godly people repair. He doesn't shrug his shoulders and go, man, I didn't know this was broken. He just rebuilds. God is a rebuilder. And the principle in this is that paganism, in however it manifests itself, in cultural deities that are exalted, they're always going to be looking at what seems to be broken in the church. We hear it all the time. Broken marriages. Broken people. Broken churches. What value are you if indeed you serve a God whom you make your boast in, then what do you say about the dysfunction and the things that we see? What's the relevancy? Elijah just says, going to rebuild this. And so he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Notice what he's doing here. The nation that's being represented right now are 10 tribes. He's taking 12. He's showing... Unity. There's only 10 of you represented today, but it's 12 that God's heart was always having a desire for. And that's what we need to say. You know, we heard that in Dennis's just spiritual leading to call us to not have division, to not separate ourselves over things that really cause a division within the church. And Elijah takes these 12 stones and he's going to build an altar in which God will be honored. As he takes these 12 stones representing the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Just to give you clarity, Israel means governed by God. I am going to establish an altar. I'm going to remind you, you are Israel. When Elijah is saying this with 12 stones, he's saying, and those other two are back in Jerusalem, honoring the Lord with Asa and Jehoshaphat overseeing the city of David, Mount Zion. And so he's pointing as best he can the intentions and heart of God to bring it back. Get yourselves in order. Israel shall be your name, not Baal, not Asherah. God shall be your king, not Ahab. Jezebel shall not be your queen. 
Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two says of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. So he's governing very likely the prophets of Baal. This is your challenge. You're going to do the work right now. What you have done is not working. And so very likely it's been conjectured that there are already a team dispatched to pull water, if necessary, from the Mediterranean. That would not be a difficult thing for them to do. Are there creeks around? There have been obviously evidences based on the fact that they went out looking to see if there were any springs back in Samaria in that territory, 45, close to 50 miles away, if anything showed evidence of being able to sustain any kind of growth for the cattle. But if this was a requirement in which those pots of water would be drawn from, then it tells us that this was a very serious requirement of Elijah. And it would indicate that how it's being done is not being challenged. If anything, they're probably taking delight in this request. Who would have ever thought that you would take an altar that's intended to burn that which is dry, kindled wood for a fire, and then do something in advance which is guaranteeing it's not going to start? They're probably glad to help. So the woods put in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it, filled four water pots with water, poured it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And so the water ran all around the altar and also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord... God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. And so what he does is make a very overt call to worship, to the attention of that audience, which would have been great, all Israel being summoned, 10 tribes. And the call to them is to repent. And he's making certain that they know that he's calling upon the God that they are historically very mindful of, that he's actually able to touch their heart in the sentiment of what it was like in those years before some of them what they had heard about, some of them what they had lived through. If Elijah right now has now clocked in at about 30 years of age, they would have had an historical remembrance of what it was like when things were functioning well. And so let it be known this day your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. In humility saying, 
It's your word I'm giving to your people. And it is you that the people will find justified in that which you will do for your namesake, Israel, whom God governs. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. What is the outcome that Elijah wants to see? There's no doubt that even as has been implied, we can get pretty angry at people for what they're not doing and we can desire that actually something really of consequence be their end we have had those attitudes right this shows you that god is making an appeal through elijah just turn back towards me and elijah is believing that in this event, the people will repent. That's really what he's saying. God, in you doing this and me making it very evident that nothing's going to light this fire, nothing's going to receive this sacrifice except your intervention. And for the purpose of turning their hearts back to you again, when in his heart, maybe even as we know a famous Bible character, Jonah, who was so enraged in the godlessness of a people that had harmed Israel, that he just wanted them destroyed. God's compassion prevailed over Jonah. Elijah knows the heart of God and desires that the compassion prevail over their perversity pretty amazing. Elijah could have said, I'm fed up with them too. So when that fire comes down, take what's on the altar and anyone else that right now has no heart for you. That would have been all of them. And so upon that, verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench, just like that. He appeals on behalf of God's charity, his mercy, that the people in seeing this would turn back towards him. They are complacent right now. They are apathetic. Very likely, they are inconclusively waiting, wavering, between two opinions, the op-eds of their day or the word of God that they have heard spoken. And so when the people saw it, notice what they do. They fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. From their mouths, and we're going to say the majority, not the minority, are acknowledging in this sign, in what Elijah has asked, what he has done obediently, is the convincing evidence that they no longer are wavering between two opinions. He challenged them in the beginning, and he now seals it with an exclamation mark confirmed by the work of God. This would have been a miracle. This would have been an on-your-face moment. 
I suggest that all of us would have been there. Elijah said to them, notice this, he said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And so they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. The confirmation that there was repentance of these 10 tribes is in what they do. They take it upon themselves now to remove the 450 prophets of Baal and bring them down for a public execution that Elijah is going to be required to do. In our minds, we cannot see it. Because we've seen so much treachery, we hear it with such frequency, we're appalled by it, and some of us would say we're immune to it. In those days, this kind of an encounter would have been a serious exclamation mark to a spiritual judgment that required, according to the law, that those who sin against God must die. And it's actually a spiritual principle that those who are opposed to God, who have not accepted the Lord in faith, the outcome of that decision, wavering between the opinion of men and the precepts of God, will lead you to your own execution. And in Revelation, it's very obvious. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. What is going on now? Why wasn't Ahab escorted down to the brook as well and dealt with? This is the extraordinary thing about God. He's willing to show grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Therefore, should we continue on in sin May it never be, God forbid. It's the extraordinary thing about God is one so unworthy of having mercy. Elijah is actually showing him mercy. He's letting him know that something's going to happen in which if he doesn't take initiative now, the floods that are going to come through the rains that God's going to send will prevent him from making it back. What would be the purpose of him making it back? Here's the purpose. He would have a word to say to Jezebel, his wife. Honey, we got to change the way we're running our family. We not, we're not doing well, and you're really not doing good. I just saw evidence of God before my very eyes and the consequences of not following God, and I was spared. And Elijah giving me a tip to get out of here, to beat the reins. We've got to change our lifestyle. We've got to change our direction. And so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. This is interesting, because the promise is coming. Once the cleanup has happened, but the requirement now is that Elijah pray. And notice how he does it. 
bowing down on the ground, putting his face between his knees, he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. That's where he's camping. And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. It's a fascinating story. It was already implied by Ahab's governor, overseer of all of his house, that he saw the Lord's hand upon Elijah where he would be snatched in the second by the spirit moved to and fro. And this is that instant in which the girding up of his robe, he was moved by the spirit to exceedingly beat Ahab to Jezreel. What's the purpose of him in that light going in advance? The purpose is to make a final presentation to be able to say what you saw is true. Make your words essentially be true in what you now must do. Essentially, this is the setup because Jezebel has not yet been dealt with. It concludes with simply this, that as this has been a great victory, not only for God, but certainly a commendation for Elijah, that there's a time that Elijah will move into a time of intense misery, wondering about his life, because he will find himself threatened in the next chapter by Jezebel. And so the church as well, we voicing the heart of God to a world that needs to know God, to a political system that is completely contemptuous towards God, we're going to feel that fear too. We're going to have a tendency to say, man, it was victory here and it was victory here. And my goodness, look what God did there. And then in one moment, one moment, for whatever reason, we hear threats of what they're doing, of what they don't like about what we're saying. And we decide to change our intensity dial it down, go away for a while. So consider this, that we as a church are obligated to stay on the course. We're obligated to be those who pray for the work that God still wants to accomplish. It's a marvelous thing that God has done within the church, within you and I, we want to stay the course. We want to speak his word. We want to see the next generation take their place. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessings that as we consider these things in our teaching today, and it has been substantial, that we find ourselves encouraged that all it took at that time was the raising up of 